What's going on, guys? Sam Adams here, and welcome to another episode of Cabinet Today for November the 14th of 2018. My name is Samuel Adams, and welcome to today's show. For those that might be brand new to the program, this is a daily gaming news show where I bring you the hottest gaming news from around the industry, and I package it in one tight, neat little box for you to enjoy every single weekday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time right here on twitch.tv slash Samuel Adams Live. Uh, now, we have a lot of news to jump into today, including the fact that the U.S. Army is wanting to attract more soldiers by fielding a Fortnite team in addition to League of Legends, PUBG, and Overwatch, which is something I have a couple of thoughts on. On top of that, there was a fatal Call of Duty swatter that has pled guilty to 51 charges when he did have his court date. The Command and Conquer games are actually going to be getting a bit of a uh, remaster, if you will, announced. Uh, and that's going to be a pretty cool thing to talk about as well. THQ Nordic has acquired Coffee Stain and Bugbear Entertainment. And on top of that, THQ Nordic is doing very well for themselves, with net sales up 1,403% to $139.5 million. We'll talk about that a little bit. If you have an Xbox One, you now have access to use mouse and keyboard on the Xbox One. Luminous Remastered sold more on the Switch than any other other platform, Fortnite has disabled glider redeploys, and there is also a brand new Fortnite game mode, so if you wanted to join the army, now you have something new to play in your spare time whenever you're training for those deep late night Fortnite gaming events. But again, for those that might be new to the show, welcome on in. I hope you enjoy what you find, and you can always find it over on YouTube.com slash Samuel Adams Media every single weekday right after the show does end over on Twitch.tv slash Samuel Adams Live, and the show is also available via podcast as seen in the description below pretty much each and every YouTube video. But without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into the hottest gaming news of the day, starting off with the fact that the U.S. Army wants to attract more soldiers by fielding a Fortnite team. The new eSports initiative also includes League of Legends, PUBG, and Overwatch. In an attempt to better connect with America's youth, the U.S. Army is standing up an eSports team. The effort comes during a period in which the Army is having difficulty meeting its recruitment targets. As first reported by Stars and Stripes, an independent news organization which operates from within the Department of Defense, the Army eSports team is currently accepting applications from active duty personnel, reservists, and veterans. An online form indicates that there is interest in fielding teams for Fortnite, Call of Duty, Tekken, League of Legends, Player Unknowns, Battlegrounds, Overwatch, FIFA, the Madden series, and the NBA 2K franchise. In an interview for an Army recruiting station uh, in Louisiana, Staff Sergeant Ryan Moe said the goal is to use esports in furthering the Army's brand and boosting recruitment. According to Moe, that will begin in December with an internal Tekken 7 tournament. The winner will represent the Army at PAX South in January of 2019. This is not the first time that the military has used video games to appeal to potential recruits. It previously staged a Street Fighter V esports tournament at eight garrisons. One recent high-profile effort saw the Army design and build its own first-person shooter called America's Army, and you can still access a version of the official game of the U.S. Army, which is now free to play on Steam, and that was recently updated in October. Eventually, Staff Sergeant Moe said the intent of the Army's esports initiative is to field an Army esports trailer, a kind of traveling roadshow that will appear at college campuses around the country. Once deployed, that college's esports team will use the vehicle to compete against the Army's esports team remotely from Fort Bragg, North Carolina. As the Army's lengthy campaigns in Afghanistan and Iraq fatigued the force and thinned its ranks, the Army began drawing down its numbers throughout the first half of the decade. In the summer of 2017, however, a new mandate was given. The goal is now to increase the total size of the Army beyond 1 million soldiers, with roughly half of those on active duty. As of September, that process has stalled. According to Army Times, it missed its goal of 483 3,500 active duty soldiers by about 7,500. 
And so, uh, what you have here is the U.S. Army getting into the esports industry because it is still something that is growing and is blowing people's minds each and every day. I mean, it is rare on any given day that I do caffeinate to not talk about some kind of esports initiative that is blowing up over the course of just a couple of months, really. But I have some thoughts on this. When it comes to the U.S. Army, that is a choice whenever you choose to go into the Army that is not lightly made. This is not something that you just do on a whim, and this is not something uh, that you really need to uh, just do because you feel compelled to do it. This is something that takes a lot of thought, because not only is it a significant portion of your life, but you might also be putting your life on the line. And in my opinion, I understand that the U.S. Army is very important. I understand that being able to protect the rights of American citizens is incredibly invaluable, especially in today's day and age. But this is incredibly predatory. This is something that really should be looked at and frowned upon, in my opinion, uh, to be able to put together this esports initiative and go onto a college campus and essentially trick slash convince kids that this is the right way to go. Um, promising fame and fortune in the esports industry and then getting somebody into the army and showing them that, hey, you're just going to be on the front lines or participating in some kind of back end exercise or keeping up with the whatever it might be to go ahead and give them the bait-and-switch tactic, if you will. I don't know about that one. It just doesn't seem like something that is reputable, doesn't seem like something that is right, just my opinion again. And I do want to reiterate that I hold the highest level of respect for anybody that is in the military at all, whether it, veterans, active duty members, whatever you might be, reservist. It is beyond me uh, to think that somebody could go and give their life for their country. That is something that is incredible, and you make up for people like myself that are not brave enough to do that kind of thing. But when it comes to this type of recruitment, if you will, this type of trying to make the army look more appealing, I just can't get behind this. I just don't believe this is something that should be done. Now, that being said, it's probably going to go over very well for them because whenever it comes to esports, college kids are in love with that field right now, especially. You see tons of people, specifically Ninja, in the headlines of many stories this year overall, uh, really kind of breaking down every barrier. And so with the potential to not only be in the Army, but on top of that to be the face of esports for the Army, that could be seen as a potential opportunity to make two dreams come true at once and potentially get a free ride uh, to the top. And uh, again, that might not be what you get whenever it comes to this time. But if you did want to get into the Army and eSports at the same time, it looks like that kind of initiative is coming down the pipe. Now, I will say I am glad it's not just Battle Royale games or shooter games. I would feel much more strongly about this if it was just Fortnite, Call of Duty, and PUBG. That seems like a bit much to me. But to see games like Tekken and FIFA and NBA 2K and Overwatch and League of Legends in there in the mix, it seems like it's not quite as bad, but still just not totally behind the idea of recruiting people in this specific way. But let me know what you think in the comments section down below. Let me know on Twitter at Pretty Chill Guy, and I will definitely engage you with some conversation on that one because I would love to have a little talk about this. But speaking of Call of Duty, a fatal Call of Duty swatter has pled guilty to 51 charges whenever he went to court. Swatter Tyler Barris, 26, pled guilty yesterday to the crimes that led police to forcibly enter a home of a Wichita resident, Andrew Finch, who died from an officer's gunshot wound. Barris originally pled not guilty to this fatal instance of swatting, which occurred over a dispute in Call of Duty in 2017. The AP reports that Barris pled guilty to 51 charges in a plea deal and could face between 20 and 25 years excuse me, in prison. The charges include threatening to kill another person, making interstate threats, and conspiracy to commit bank fraud. 
Club. Barris's criminal history is long and dotted with hoax police reports, including calling in phony bomb threats to the FBI, the FCC, schools, malls, and television stations. According to the Wichita Eagle, on occasion he did this on behalf of others, including Casey Viner, 18, who enlisted Barris to swat somebody with whom Viner played Call of Duty. Viner had lost a reported $1.50 on a bet and had become enraged. He enlisted Barris, who called the police from California on December the 28th, 2017. Barris pretended there was a hostage situation at the Wichita house that previously belonged to Viner's Call of Duty enemy. When police arrived at the house, they encountered Andrew Finch, a new resident of the home. As NPR reported at the time, officers soon flanked the house on three sides and readied themselves for a confrontation. Livingston said in his press conference, Finch appeared at the door to the house and, following verbal commands from the officers, Step forward with his hands up. At numerous points, however, he reached for his waistband. Fearful that Finch was going to a firearm, an officer discharged one round, killing the father of two, said Livingston. That officer did not face charges. Earlier this year, Finch's family filed a civil rights lawsuit against the city. Their lawyer cited the officer's excessive force, the Wichita Eagle reported, and the plea agreement can be viewed here via the guys over there at Kotaku. Now, this is a very, very sad story. Swatting is terrible for streamers and the internet community overall. Nobody should be putting their lives on the line whenever they go online to play a video game. That's just simply a fact. People shouldn't have to feel that kind of threat. However, I am glad that this swatter is getting what he deserves because 51 charges and 20 to 25 years in prison is what this guy deserves. Because whenever you do anything like this, you are literally the scum of the earth whenever you see somebody playing a game and you swat them. That is something that you should never do. That is something that is despicable. That is something that is disgusting. And I hope that he never gets out any iota early as compared to what he actually has been given, which is, again, 20 to 25 years. Uh, but do you get out an iota? early probably not uh, however when it comes down to it don't do this that's the main reason i included this in today's news don't do this kind of thing you have a better way just just insult them on twitter or better yet just don't say anything at all and get better at the game how about that is that an option for you uh, but again glad to see this fatal call of duty swatting story come to a happy ending or at least as happy an ending as you can have in this specific scenario uh, but being completely serious, what it comes down to is that this man is now in prison and two children have lost their father because he was playing video games online. Let that sink in. Not to be a downer, I'm just letting you guys know what exactly is going on here. However, moving on to happier news, Command & Conquer and Red Alert Remastered have been announced. Last month, EA announced an intention to bring Command & Conquer back in the form of remasters rather than the mobile endeavor the company showed off at E3 earlier this year. Far quicker than anyone thought, EA is seemingly ready to announce exactly what it has been cooking up, today announcing remasters for Command & Conquer Tiberian Dawn and Command & Conquer Red Alert with all new expansions in tow. Tiberian Dawn is the working title for what was simply released as Command & Conquer, the original 1995 PC game from Westwood Studios. It makes a lot of sense for the first game in the series to be chosen, but EA have also heard from the community that Red Alert is a more well-loved game, so that is also getting the remastered treatment. Quote, we have decided to remaster Command & Conquer Tiberia Dawn. Creative director Jim Vassella writes in a blog post for the announcement. And while this is incredibly exciting on its own, we are also aware of how passionate the community is about Red Alert Universe. So we will also remaster the original Command & Conquer Red Alert. But what about the classic expansion packs, you may ask? Covert Ops, Counter-Strike, and Aftermath. Well, CNC and Red Alert wouldn't be the same without them, so all three expansions will be bundled with the base games into one remastered collection without microtransactions. 
Yes. Additionally, EA is also contacting Nevada developer Petroglyph Game for the remaster, a studio made up of former Westwood staff that got together when EA shut Westwood down in 2003 to assimilate into EA Los Angeles, which is now called Dice Los Angeles. Basically, what this means is that the two remastered games will be made of many of the same developers who worked on the titles originally, which is a big plus for a lot of people, including myself. I feel like that is almost a necessity uh, when it comes down to it to make a well-made remaster of any game, get the people that originally worked on the game and bring them back into the fold. That is something that is a necessity, especially in a day and age where so many people can just pump out a remaster. Uh, As we've seen many times with stuff like Spyro and Crash, it doesn't necessarily always pan out. Those two did, but many other games have not in the past, and so we'll see what happens with that. Uh, But Going on, Joe Bostic is known as the co-creator of Command & Conquer, having also served as the lead programmer on Tiberian Dawn and Red Alert. Steve Tall joined Joe as a lead programmer on Red Alert, and Mike Legg contributed to all forms of audio systems at Westwood, having been an employee since 1986. All three members helped start Petroglyph Games in 2003 after the closure of Westwood and are joined by a veteran group of RTS developers from the past 15 years. And don't think we haven't noticed the number one request from the community in all the comments from the past month. You want Frank Klepacki. So, as a cherry on top of the fans, we are thrilled to announce that Frank will be rejoining Petroglyph Games to be our composer and audio director for the remastered collection. So what all this means, in a sense, is that when it comes to remasters, this is the cream of the crop. You're getting exactly what you want when it comes to what fans of the original games do want here. EA also notes that the Command & Conquer Remaster Collection has yet to even start development, so it might be some time before we see anything from this, but they do seem to be handling it appropriately for a company that was once stringently against remasters of any kind. This is great. Now, I'm not a big fan of RTS games in general, but I do respect a good round of Command & Conquer, and this is something that many people have been wanting since the mobile game was announced at E3. Again, that was just a heart-wrenching, almost Blizzard-esque kind of announcement where you had Diablo announced at BlizzCon. You had this Command & Conquer mobile game that just gave fans this hollow, deep, angst when it comes to the game and the franchise overall, but now they've heard that and they see that a remaster is in the works, and so it doesn't shock me that they're getting the team back together, so to speak, reigniting the flame that once lit Command and Conquer. Uh, But again, it will probably be between two and three years before you see anything about this, maybe even the next generation of consoles, or maybe just on PC. We'll see what happens with that, but if you are a fan of Command and Conquer in regards to the earlier entries in the franchise, then I have good news for you. Remaster are in fact on the way. But now moving on to some news about THQ Nordic. They have acquired Coffee Stain and Bugbear Entertainment. THQ Nordic has agreed to acquire Coffee Stain Studios and Bugbear Entertainment in two separate deals. The company will purchase 100% of Goat Simulator developer and publisher Coffee Stain for 317 million SEK, which is about 300 or excuse me, 3 $34.9 million, and could pay out even more if the studio hits certain pre-agreed milestones. Coffee Stain will continue to operate independently post-acquisition, with Anton Westberg retaining his position of CEO. Moving forward, the studio will attempt to help THQ strengthen its publishing position in the Nordic territories, while also continuing to develop new titles geared towards the digital and multiplayer markets. As for Bugbear, excuse me, Bugbear, not Bugbeer, that sounds disgusting. I do not want bugs in my beer, that is 100% for sure. 
But as for Bugbear, THQ has bought 90% of the Helensky-based Wreckfest developer for an undisclosed fee and has the option to pick up the remaining 10% further down the line. The company explained it, quote, strongly believes in Bugbear's competence in developing successful action racing games and wanted to make a long-term investment to support the studio's future growth and turn Wreckfest into a major franchise. The move is THQ Nordic's first step into the Finnish market and the company claims it foresees more strategic investments in the future. Both deals are the latest in a long line of purchases for THQ, which recently grabbed the rights to notable franchises, including Alone in the Dark, Act of War, Time Splitters, and Kingdoms of Amalur. Now, this is a big move. Now, for those that have not heard of Wreckfest, very good-looking game, something that I think could be a big AAA franchise, or at least a AA franchise, I believe is what they use uh, when talking about games that are kind of in the mid-tier, such as what you would find from THQ. Uh, it's amazing to see what this company has done. I know a couple of years back, they were in a very bad way when it comes to finances. People did not think that THQ was going to make it out of the red, but lo and behold, we have a lot of purchases and a lot of investment in the future of their company. Now, this is going to be the publisher that does weird stuff going forward, I think. Uh, as we've seen with many THQ Nordic games, such as the remaster of Red Faction Guerrilla, Remastered Edition, or the Darksiders remasters, which also have funny, quirky pun names, uh, it's going to be one of those things where you just get strange releases that are good, just strange, and ones that many other people probably wouldn't touch. And I think there is a niche for that. I think people do want that type of experience. And so for them to be getting the developers of Goat Simulator and Wreckfest just fits the bill 100%, not a shocker uh, in any kind of way, shape, or form. But if you did want to learn more about this, again, Game Atsura, or Game Sutra, excuse me, I always mispronounce that one, uh, is reporting on this today. And I'm sure more information will be coming out over the course of the next few months and years as these projects do begin to go underway. But all these investments have been good for THQ, with net sales up 1,403% to $139.5 million. Re-releases and deep silver titles drive record performance for the publisher. The latest financial results for THQ Nordic show a dramatic increase in net sales with earnings rising across the business. For the three months ending on September the 30th, the publisher reported net sales of $139.5 million, a staggering year-on-year increase of 1,403% over the $9.3 million reported for the same period in 2017. The reason for this growth is THQ's acquisition of Koch Media and Deep Silver earlier this year, effectively doubling the publisher's potential revenues. Titles by this segment saw sales of $27.6 million with the release of Dakar 18 and Pathfinder Kingmaker cited as key performers, even though the latter launched less than a week before the end of the quarter. Even without Deep Silver, THQ Nordic's own titles would have driven net sales up 47% year-on-year to $13.6 million. The launch of Titan Quest and Red Faction Guerrilla Remastered Edition, both re-releases of hits from the previous incarnation of THQ, were highlighted as particular successes, as was This Is The Police 2. Over the quarter, THQ Nordic published five of its own titles and nine from other studios, with the partner publisher business enjoying a strong quarter thanks to big releases from partners such as Codemasters, Square Enix, and Sega. Earnings before tax, depreciation, and amortization, never even heard of that word before, rose by 521% year-on-year from $3.8 million to $23.5 million. And I could go on with more figures right here, but what you need to know is that THQ is just killing it right now. They're doing very well, and I would say that when it comes down to what you are going to be getting in the future, more of this is going to be coming down the line. Uh, Now, overall, I will say that I need to restart the stream because this is looking like hot garbage right now. No, actually, we're looking pretty good. Maybe we're looking pretty good. Uh, I'm going to pause that one. Okay, we we could be all right here. We could be all right. We'll see what happens. Uh, But... 
Uh, when it comes down to it, I think that there's a lot to be had here with THQ. I think the companies are doing very well. And overall, if you did want to get into THQ, now is a good time to do so. Not only as a person that plays their games, but also as an investor. Uh, there is so much going on with THQ that you have to be admirable of that. And so, if you did want to dive in and find more about this, again, gamesindustry.biz has this report today. But for those that are on Xbox One, you might have something else to play. And you might be wanting to dive in on the Xbox One with a mouse and keyboard. And many of you can do that now. If you're tired of Microsoft drumming up hype for the Xbox One's mouse and keyboard support, we have good news, say the guys over at Engadget. That feature is finally here. Install the November 2018 Xbox update and your Xbox One S or Xbox One X will have PC-like input for compatible games, including Fortnite and Warframe. But don't expect every game to offer a mouse and keyboard option. It'll be typically limited to games where it both makes sense and won't provide an unfair advantage in multiplayer modes. That's not the only feature in the update. You can use Alexa or Cortana to quit a game or even use it as an impromptu controller with start navigation mode. American users can automatically pair an Xbox with Cortana from another device using the voice assistant. Beta Alexa will support is available in the UK too. Search results, meanwhile, are growing to include Xbox Assist and ready-to-install games from subscriptions like Xbox Game Pass or EA Access. You'll also have another major streaming music option if you live in the States. Amazon has released a brand new app for the console that provides access to Prime Music and Music Unlimited from your console. This isn't as vital when options like Spotify are already available, but it certainly won't hurt to have have a couple of choices if you did want to get those choices. Uh, but good for fans of the mouse and keyboard support. Again, I think it's going to be a big hit, especially for those that play competitive games. Now, I will say, as reported on yesterday, you have to have an Xbox One with a mouse and keyboard to play with other people with a mouse and keyboard. You are not going to be plugging in a mouse and keyboard, which has far superior accuracy, and think you were going to be playing with people with a controller. That's just not how it works, because that's the fair thing to do. And now, if you didn't mind being paired with people on the Xbox One that are also using the same peripheral that you are, then keep on playing. Uh, but if you did want to go ahead and try your luck on PC, this is a good way to transition into that. If you don't have enough money uh, to build a PC at the current time, you could always go ahead and play with the Xbox One until you get a couple of extra bucks, or this might tickle your fancy enough to where you don't even have to build a PC. Still would recommend building a PC at some point if you haven't already, but still might be worth diving into. So if you want to play with your Xbox One via mouse and keyboard, there you guys go. Now, when it comes to Luminous Remastered, it has done very well overall, but it sold more copies on the Switch than any other platform. Luminous Remastered has been out for several months now, and we're just starting to get to the bottom of what platforms worked out for the publisher Enhanced Games. Rhythm legend Tetsuya Mizuguchi was on a recent episode of the Game Informer show in which he divulged the best-selling system for the game, including on P PC, PS4, Xbox One, and the Switch, and that was the Switch. It's a common theme that we're seeing where the hot new system outsells the others, and in this case, when pressed, Enhanced Games further clarified that it was the best-selling version by a mile. I was worried, say the, uh, says the author, excuse me, that rhythm games were going the way of the dinosaur again. But with the advent of digital marketplaces, they've carved out a nice little niche for themselves. 2018 is a renaissance of source for the genre. Uh, now, I will also say that Tetris Effect is another game that really does personify what's going on here because you have large success when it comes to Tetris Effect. And on top of that, Luminous Remastered is a fantastic iteration of the classic puzzle game. Uh, but on the Switch, selling more, not surprising here because of the nature of the game, which is Luminous Remastered. It just fits when it comes to the Nintendo Switch, something that makes sense in that regard. 
Now, if you did want to pick it up, again, it is out there on the PC, PS4, Xbox One, and the Nintendo Switch. But overall, very fun, uh, rhythm-based puzzle game, one that I would definitely recommend. I played a good bit of Luminous on the Vita whenever I was actively using that device, and man, is it a good time. But for those Switch owners, you can join tons of other people that made this the best-selling version of the game by a mile. Now, going back to Fortnite for a minute, they have disabled the glider redeploy in Battle Royale. Fortnite's most contentious new addition has been removed from solo, duo, and squad play in the Battle Royale mode. Glider redeploy will still be available in the playground mode in some limited time modes, but it will no longer be a core piece of the Battle Royale experience. Since its introduction, Glider redeploy has had its fair share of fans and detractors. The debates raged on social media forums and subreddits with plenty of compelling arguments made both for and against the Fortnite feature's inclusion. Ultimately, Epic Games sided with those who did not like the ability to reactivate a glider in midair and has therefore put the feature on hiatus. Epic admits that it didn't take the time to iterate on the mechanic and effectively communicate its plans for glider redeploy. Some will take that as Epic admitting it added a feature no one asked for and without proper testing. At the very least, the Fortnite dev will be able to see how glider redeploy impacts modes like Soaring 50s and Disco Domination and make changes based on that feedback. No doubt, Glider Redeploy added a completely new wrinkle to Fortnite play. It allowed players to close the gap between opponents quickly without worrying about whether they had a grappling gun or a launch pad. But conversely, the Glider Redeploy allowed players to escape sticky situations by flying away. However, there was an argument that made the Glider Redeploy uh, against some of Fortnite's proven strategies. Before, players won a tough gunfight, could build a small enclosure to heal and prepare for the next encounter. But with Glider Redeploy, a nearby enemy or team could swoop in and take out a player while they were vulnerable. The forced players to keep on their toes, but it also felt unfair to some, including myself and my opinion. Whether or not Glider Redeploy will ever return to Fortnite Battle Royale is unclear, but if it does, we wouldn't expect it to work exactly the same as before. Perhaps players only get a few uses of their glider per match, or maybe there will be a height requirement that is higher than the three blocks as it was previously. This is something that is a little bit tricky to kind of deal with. Now, in my opinion, I think that Fortnite should not have Glider Redeploy, quite frankly, because the building is such a massive part of the overall Fortnite experience uh, that if you take that away and you make it kind of pointless to even try, uh, really, when it comes down to it, you should be able to, you know, fight your way to the top when it comes to building and not have to worry about somebody just flying away. Also, on top of that, with the addition of turrets, if somebody does build up this giant tower, they shouldn't be able to just jump off and glide away once you destroy that tower. You should be able to feel that satisfying crunch of their legs hitting the ground whenever they fall from the height of the Empire State Building. It's just something that really makes Fortnite Fortnite for me. But... I also understand why some people would like the glider thing, because it does make the game move faster. It makes you more agile, if you will, and you can get from one end of the map to the other very quickly and also escape from sticky situations, or as the article said, swoop in and take somebody out. It just depends on what you want. Uh, But I think it was an interesting test, and that's why I love the guys at Epic Games, because they don't fear angering the community. They know that people are going to be around for the long haul, regardless of what happens, for the most part. And so therefore, they go ahead and mess about with everything. They change tons of mechanics of the game, and they completely flop balance, and messing with it in that specific way is how you discover new features that people didn't even know they wanted. That's how you discover new ways to optimize the game, to make it flow better, to make the game more fast-paced, or more action-packed, or slower, whatever needs to be done. That's how you essentially find out what you need to do. But interesting test, and if you are a fan, I apologize. But as for right now, the redeploy in Fortnite is gone. 
But there is a new game mode. What is Fortnite's new food fight mode? This new mode lets each team build a base, then makes them defend it. Fortnite Battle Royale has been out from, uh, excuse me, Fortnite Battle Royale has been about more than just surviving for quite a while now. There we go, nailed it. But the game's new Food Fight mode, taking objective-based multiplayer, is to a whole new level. Food Fight, which was just added in Fortnite patch version 6.30, is a little like a cross between Capture the Flag and a Protect the VIP game mode. Two teams of 12 face off with each starting on opposite sides of a giant barrier. Each team has to protect either the Durburger mascot or the Tomato Head mascot from the enemy. The barrier prevents either team from entering the game's uh, territory for the first several minutes of the match, during which teams can fortify the area around their mascot. This turns the mode into basically a two-fort mode. Each team spends the first five or so minutes constructing the biggest, most elaborate base that they can. Then the two teams fight it out, each attempting to infiltrate the enemy base and destroy their mascot. While the mode may still take place within Fortnite Battle Royale, it feels a lot more like traditional competitive multiplayer. Players respawn every uh, seven seconds after they die and even keep their entire inventory. In fact, this is more or less the mode that many players first thought of when they heard Fortnite was getting a PvP multiplayer. Two sides laying siege to giant player-built forces while trying to protect their own. Fortnite's Food Fight mode is only there for a limited time and will likely end sometime in the next two weeks, but if fans enjoy the mode enough, it will probably come back pretty soon. A really cool addition to the game, I would say, because what you have traditionally is the fact that Fortnite is this giant battle royale mode where you do just kind of fight at the end, and that's what it has traditionally been when it comes to BR. Now, this is somewhat making it a similar experience as to what you had with Save the World before, where you do build up a giant uh, kind of base and you defend it against the enemy. And that's something that I think is very, very valuable uh, and something that I think could change the way that Fortnite evolves going forward. And this is a fantastic way to kind of groom people and get them ready for whenever the Save the World mode does launch, which is probably, if I had to guess, going to be met with a bit of hitback because it's not Battle Royale. And so whenever you're trying to get people more into the idea of defending a base and going into small teams or even going against AI, this is how you do it. You slowly ease people into it where it still is this giant fight, but it isn't quite as giant and chaotic as the traditional kind of fight would be in Battle Royale. Uh, so again, you can dive in and check it out. No definitive end date, but again, could be over in just a couple of weeks. So jump in and give it a shot if you did want to try it out for yourself. But that wraps up today's episode of Caffeinate. If you enjoyed today's show, be sure to drop me a like down below and let me know in the comments section if you are watching on YouTube what you think about all the news stories that we had today. I know that there were a couple of issues when it comes to video. I'm trying out some new stuff server in to try and make the show available on multiple platforms, but tonight it just didn't work out. And quite frankly, I might give up because it seems to be at home right here on Twitch and I would love to try other places, but we'll see what happens. I would love to get it out there in the open more and more. And I'm working on that actively. I've heard the calls for it, and so we are going to try and make that happen. But it takes some time, and there are going to be a couple of quirks along the way. But I digress. I appreciate you guys being here for those podcast listeners. You are the bomb diggity. And for those watching in general, you are also the bomb diggity. But I will talk to you guys soon. Enjoy the rest of your night, and peace.